if you uh, use an app or have a Bible, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2 today. Uh, the book of Daniel is in the Old Testament. If you have an old school Bible, it's right after, like an old school Bible, like one made out of paper. Uh, it's, it's right after uh, Ezekiel, and that's a bigger one you can usually find. The story of Daniel happens, uh, and we're talking about the first six chapters of Daniel, the first six weeks of this school year, because it gives a model, I think, of how to live in a world that doesn't necessarily uh, recognize uh, Jesus or God as sovereign and uh, living in a, the world we live in, which is increasingly uh, secularized. Uh, it is a skill for Christians that we're learning uh, that for a lot of generations the church didn't have to know because Christianity was kind of like uh, the, the water that we swam in and the church had a chaplain role to society and uh, that is not the truth anymore, increasingly not the truth anymore. And so uh, learning how to live in our world, I think the book of Daniel gives us a model for that. The reason why is because this is, all happens around the year 600 B.C., so a long time ago. Uh, this guy Daniel, and he had a couple of friends that were with him uh, that the Scripture mentions, they were uh, like rising stars in the court of the country of Judah. <clears throat> and as they were... Uh, getting better and better, and their careers were taking off. Another country, the Babylonians, came in, sieged Jerusalem, took over, uh, took their king away, and then took everyone who was um, of noble birth and who was smart, the guys who were rising the career like the ladder. The, the, they actually, the scripture actually says all the handsome guys, too. So on top of being good at their jobs and rising, they were stunners. So <laughs> they were uh, moved from everything they knew into uh, another culture, into uh, Babylonian culture. And Daniel and his friends be quickly became stars in that way of thinking as well. And they learned uh, a whole new outlook on life, a whole new set of mythological literature that guided Babylonian religion. And they became uh, very uh, astute and very good at it. And so as we're uh, going through this, it really is, there's a lot in these six chapters, and especially in chapter two today, and we're going to read the whole thing, because uh, I think the Bible is worth uh, spending time on, and so we're going to read all the way through it, but we're not going to talk about everything uh, in it, because there's parts that would take entire sermon series all by themselves. So I want to read it to us. Uh, Daniel and his friends, so you know, uh, during their initial training period, were the best of the best. They scored higher scores than all of the magicians and enchanters of the Babylonian religion itself. They were better, uh, which kind of creates an awkward tension because they were people of God, but they were better than, they were better at Babylonian religion than the Babylonians themselves. And so uh, there's a religious tension there that we experience and we should experience and that Daniel and his friends experienced as well. And in that, they entered into this three-year training. And probably two years into that is when this story happens. And so they are star students, but they're still students, and they haven't graduated to actually be advising the king yet, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. So this is Daniel chapter 2. It'll all be up here uh, on the screen for you if you uh, don't have a device to read along. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who was the king of Babylon, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers 
to tell him what he dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. And then all the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever, which is probably how they began all their sentences. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. And the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Whoa, okay. <laughs> that took a turn, huh? But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me the gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. So King Nebuchadnezzar is calling the psychic hotline, and when they say what your name is, he's saying, you tell me what my name is. And if you can't, I'm hanging up. And they go, we already have your 1899. <laughs> Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. And the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is, not, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping that the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. So the only way Nebuchadnezzar can trust them is if he can actually tell me the dream. The astrologers said to the king, there's no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it, no one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do, not, they do not live among humans, which is a key sentence. They do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Yikes. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends and put them to death. And when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Another key sentence. And he asked the king's officer, why is the, did the king issue such a harsh decree? And Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. I don't know how you explain it, though. Well, the king, he's definitely not gone crazy. He's definitely not nutty. He is going to kill everyone. Oh, but that's totally, that's good leadership. Please don't kill me. <laughs> At this, Daniel went into the king, and he asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishai, and Azariah. And he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning the mystery, this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven and he said, and this is Daniel's prayer or his poem to God, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever, wisdom and power of his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge and discerning. Uh, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. And you have made known to me, to us, the dream of the king. I'm going to actually read the next section. It's going to describe the dream. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail of what it means you can Google that and find some kind of alarmist or end times theorist that, that'll, that's really fun. 
but I want you to notice how strange the dream is so that you can get a grip of Daniel and the faith that he put in God uh, that he was given a vision of what the dream is. So then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret the dream for him. So Antioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. And the king asked Daniel, who was also called in their language Belshazzar, Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replies, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God, with a capital G, so it's Yahweh God, in heaven, who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. And this is the explanation. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, the mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have a greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but but, but so that your majesty may know that the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. And the head of the statue is made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, and its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands, inferred by, that means it was made by a god. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor, very fine, in the summer. And they would throw that up in the air, and the wind would actually sweep it away. So he says, the wind swept them away without a trace. But the rock that struck the statue would become a huge mountain and fill the whole earth. And this was the dream. And now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has has given you your domain and power and might and glory. And in your hands he has placed all mankind and all beasts of the field and all birds of the sky. And wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. Which is a great way to begin to suck up to someone, right? Like the most expensive part, that's you. (laughs) And after you, another kingdom will will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. And finally, the fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. And just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, this will be a divided kingdom. And yet you will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw the iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixture baked with, clay, with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. And in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, and nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever." This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of of a mountain. Not by human hands. The rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. 
the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation trustworthy. That's the end of the dream. Now back to the story. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel. And so you know, that's, that's a striking thing to write. The king, Daniel is described as being the king of all kings, the ruler over everything, is bowing down in front of someone else. Everyone else would assume he fainted or something. Like there, there'd be, this is scandalous. Then Neb- King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. Meaning, all of a sudden, Daniel's rich. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of the gods, and the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries. For you are able to reveal this mystery. And then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him rule over an entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its men. And moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at royal court. End of chapter 2. What an incredible story, stuck in the middle of the Old Testament. And a lot of us uh, would kind of skim through this. The end of the book of Daniel is very confusing, so Daniel is in a place that we spend a lot of time, or we Sunday school it and just give you the details that are kind of moralized and say, see, if you obey God, everything works out. Uh, we know if we read the whole Bible or if we just live our lives, sometimes you obey God and everything doesn't work out. And there is that kind of, uh, in the end, everything does work out because there's an eternal destiny for the people of God and an eternal destiny for the people uh, who are away from God. But in the life that you have right now, you're living in a tension in your world of representing and living for Jesus, yet... Everything around you lives by a different way or a different viewpoint on the world or a different set of beliefs that guides their actions and their worldview. And so you're stuck in the middle of this. And a lot of times as Christians, we read through the scripture and we say, this is how we ought to act, this is how we ought to act. And, and for a lot of us, the scripture teaches us to just be quiet, or maybe not just the scripture, the way we were taught the scripture teaches you to be quiet and just take the suffering. And when King Nebuchadnezzar said everybody would be killed, if you were Daniel, you've been taught to just keep your mouth shut. Even if you die, you died for Jesus, so it's all good. But the guys, usually the scripture that's used to support that is written by an apostle Paul who lived uh, 600 and some years later. And apostle Paul actually spent the end of his life uh, converting kings and princes and high-ranking government officials. He moved up the ladder in order to have more influence. And somehow in our Christian world, there's a vein of thinking that believes that you shouldn't move up, that greatness isn't something that you should look for in your life, that simplicity and quietness and lowliness is some kind of goal. And Jesus himself taught that we are to become servants to all, but what he taught was you become servants to all on the path to greatness. That there's a path of the world to greatness where you step on the people, right? You step on people and, and push them down so that you rise. Ahead. You rise. And you can read in this very story, uh, the king's guard, Arioch, he does this. When Daniel goes to Arioch and says, take me to the king, I can interpret the dream. What does Arioch say? King, I have found someone among the exiles who can interpret your dream. 
You've worked with people like this, right? And if you haven't, it's you. <laughs> and this sermon should be extra convicting. Extra. Like the, we're going to get to the convicting part, but this you should be already like, oh, dang it, right? All right? Ariok goes to the king and tries to ascribe credit to himself for finding Daniel when what he did was answer Daniel's questions. Which brings me to, which I want to talk about today is a path to actual greatness that Daniel models. And here's the underlining thought in that, is that I actually believe that God has great things for your life. That if your goal is lowliness and a lack of impact, then I don't understand your relationship with Jesus. If Jesus is going to go through the pain of dying on the cross for your salvation, you would think that Jesus would have a good plan for your life with an increased impact for his kingdom on the people around you. Now, this doesn't mean everyone's going to be famous, everyone's going to be rich. If that's your measure of greatness, you have an unbiblical measure of greatness. If you are hoping that your video goes viral and you're popular for 30 seconds of one day, like you don't even get 15 minutes of fame anymore. You get like a 30-second clip of fame because there's so many clips. If that's your goal in life, you have an unbiblical goal for your life. You want something that God doesn't want for you. And not that fame and riches are bad. Heck, I'll take them. And so will you. And if you won't, you can pass them on to me. <laughs> but there is, when our goal is fame and riches, that's not the greatness that the Scripture teaches. The greatness that the Scripture teaches is, I think, best described by you moving through the world and leaving a wake of the kingdom of God behind you. I think of it like a boat moving through the water, and behind you there's all this impact for the kingdom of God so that when you get to heaven, you're recognized. It's not a surprise. Like, oh, James is here. Oh. Right? And I know there will be some people, wow, you know, like, I kind of thought, yeah, but I kind of thought, I don't know. It's so that when you get to heaven, when your life is complete, when you've spent, poured yourself out in the way that God has directed you, that at the end of everything, it's a celebration because you've left this giant wake behind you and the waves of your life have actually impacted people for the kingdom of God impacted the world around us for the kingdom of God. So I want to talk through what Daniel did. The first thing Daniel did, and, you've, like, and I really think this is an actual model for increasing your impact in the world. And I think increasing your impact in the world is often achieved really well with an increase in your impact in relational status among the people around you. The person at the, in the CEO's chair has a lot of impact in the company. And so if God raises you to the CEO chair, it's not necessarily just for your benefit. It's because you've been faithful. This is taught in Luke chapter 16. Jesus taught this. You've been faithful with a little, and now God is giving you more. And now God is giving you more. I hear all the time people saying, oh, if I had that level of influence, I would do this for God. Or if I had that much money, I would do this for people. And God isn't going to, like, this might sound like I'm Joel Osteen and stuff like that, I'm a health, wealth, and prosperity guy, but in this, I'm right, and so is he. We're like this. <laughs> like, ooh, like that. <laughs> but when 
you say, someday I'll be faithful. Someday I'll have an impact for the kingdom of God. Someday God will use me. That someday's never going to come because God doesn't move people to that position for impact who don't show themselves faithful when they have little. And you might have this dream someday of starting an orphanage in the third world country and man, when I have a lot of money, I'm going to do that. Well, right now, when you don't have any money, there are things you can do that move you towards that dream or impact people towards that dream. Like, I, you could sponsor one child. You could do one thing that's good and not do a million things that are good. You can become famous on your street instead of famous on the whole internet for taking care of people or not for actually being a positive influence in your neighborhood. And then when you are that, God takes you on the next step. Here's how he does that. The first thing Daniel does, and if you write things down, you can write this down. Like, I really actually believe this. I'm not just making this junk up. The first thing Daniel does is he asks questions. I spend a lot of time in pastor world. Daniel asks questions. I spend a lot of time in pastor world. Like, I hang out with a lot of pastors. And uh, I often will hear pastors, especially new and young pastors that were like me when I was new and young, who have all the solutions because they're young. And you probably have, uh, if you have late adolescence or early adolescence children, uh, you've experienced this, where they know how things ought to work. And when someone tells me, when a pastor who maybe was new to a congregation says, here's the four things wrong with my congregation, here's how I'm going to solve them, I'm like, well, enjoy your eight-month stay at that church. (laughs) Because you're really actually called to love the people, not to fix them. Which is kind of a strange thing. I'm not called to fix you. And some of us need a lot of fixing. And I believe that's the Holy Spirit's job. I'm creating an environment where that can happen. Uh, But I'm very poorly equipped to fix you. I'm poorly equipped to fix myself, let alone fix you. And when I hear people who are young, when I went to Bible college, and that's where you meet all the young pastors, I worked on the grounds crew. I cut grass in northeast Georgia, so we cut grass year-round. And we had this fun thing when we were cutting grass and weed-whacking where we would say, if I was in charge, you'd probably do this. If you do this at your job, it means you're low-level. If I was in charge, I would do this, right? Like, we'd be cutting grass in January, and we're like, if I was in charge, I would pave all of this. Just pave it. And if you have the idea when you say, if I was in charge, that probably means you're not in charge and nowhere near in charge. And your ideas, while they might be fun to post about on the internet or uh, shoot the breeze with your friends about, are not actually, like, even remotely helpful. And we would tell our boss, you know what we need to do? Pave this whole field. We cut it. It's stupid. Let's pave it. Make a parking lot. And there are probably really good reasons why that didn't happen. And we didn't realize we'd be paving ourselves out of a job because we're grass cutters, not pavers. (laughs) And so a good boss is patient with that and says, someday you won't be so stupid and then you'll actually get some influence. He doesn't say that out loud. He thinks that. And if you're young, there's probably times your boss thinks that and he's a good boss if he doesn't say it out loud. But the first thing Daniel does, instead of announcing solutions, he asks questions. What's going on? Why is everybody going to be killed? Can I go in and talk to the king? King, can I have overnight so that I can solve this problem? Hey, I think I have a solution. Can I go in and see the king? 
when Daniel is, like we would think Daniel, if he was bold, would just march right in and tell the king, this is the deal. God is God and you are not and God will strike him dead. Daniel's a lot smarter than to depend on God striking someone dead and he asks questions. Here's a little tip, especially if you're new or young in your career, asking questions infers value on the people who are above you who you're asking questions of and when you value them, they actually tend to favor you. So you ask questions and you might be really smart. Like your boss might really not be smart but it infers value by asking them questions and it might be that your boss is smart but you're so not smart that your evaluation of your boss is wrong but not you probably your friends (laughs) but asking questions instead of announcing solutions is a step in servant greatness because you're not asking questions just so you'll always ask questions You're asking questions so you'll gain information. I got invited. I'm on a board for our denomination. Uh, It's called the Board of Ministry. And I'm the youngest on that board by 25 years. I sit there and I wonder, how did this happen? And so do they. (laughs) And we go to lunch and they talk about their friends with broken hips or something. And I don't, it is, I think it's very real for them. And I'm, I'm upset because where we go to lunch, I get horrible cell service. And they do not care. And I'm like, there are other places we can go to lunch that have cell. Why would we want good cell service? Okay, well, in two and a half decades, I'll have an answer to that. When I go to this group, though, and the reason I signed up for this board and was willing to participate in it is because I sit in certain spots intentionally because in between the things, like our board does things, and it's important, because we're training young pastors. But in between those, I'm sitting between a couple of pastors and I get to ask them questions about things that are going on in my church because they've been in ministry as long as I've been alive. And I can probably ask them a question, something that's brand new to us and brand new to me and brand new to our church that we've never experienced before, and they've done it four times. And I can say, hey, so this is what's happening. This is how I think things are working. How do you take the next step? And they're like, oh, here's the four ways I've done that. Two of them are terrible and two of them are great. And I always noticed that the terrible ones were the idea I originally had. (laughs) But because I ask questions, I gain wisdom. I become better. Our church benefits. The ministry of the Grove in our community benefits. God's impact in the world grows because I don't trust myself more than I trust the wisdom that God has put around me. The second thing that Daniel does, and this leads into this, he actually plans for help. He goes back to his friends and says, here's the deal, we're all going to die, so let's pray. Which probably at your work, or in your school, or in your family, it's never like, oh, we're all going to die. But it might be, oh, we're all going to get laid off. Hey, the guys in charge, their solution is, we get rid of our department. And if we can't figure out a way to make our department actually contribute to the overall goals, we're all done. Hey, do you want to pray together? Usually that's a great step in desperation. And so Daniel and his friends pray for God to be able to uh, speak to them. Daniel, this is two parts, I think. Not only does he pray on his own, he goes to another group of people who will pray with him. So that when things work out, it's not, oh, God has gifted us and we did this. It's we prayed to God and God did this. Then 
after he asks questions, after he prays, and God provides a path forward, Daniel moves with a great deal of confidence. Not with arrogance. If you notice the way Daniel speaks, King, you're awesome. King, you're great. King, God has shown you so that you can benefit. Not walking in and saying, I'm awesome. He walks in with confidence because he says, I can't do this, but God can. And God has spoke to me, and I will speak to you. Which is the fourth part. So there's asking questions, uh, getting some prayer and friends that support you, getting some support, and not, let me back up. <laughs> Who makes the sound effect when they're back? All right, we're going to rewind that tape, and I'm, sometimes I'm preaching to myself. Uh, welcome to this thing. Um, when you're gaining help from others, there's a deep temptation to gain support and help from others using gossip. Daniel doesn't do that. Gossip usually speaks ill of people who aren't there. Daniel doesn't say, listen, we're surrounded by these magicians and enchanters who are idiots. I mean, we just got here and we're the best of the best. And this king has lost his mind. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, what kind of a name is that? And who kills everyone when they can't do their job? Nobody. This guy's a lunatic. Like, these are things that we would say. You and I have probably said about your boss or about people at your work who are on the same level or about the official at your child's youth sports game. You've said these things. What is wrong with them? They are terrible. I want to speak badly. Anybody else want to speak badly? And it's again this feeling of support that isn't godly at all. The godly support says, how can we support him because God has put him in a position of authority? It's a different way of looking at the world. It's a different, uh, okay, now we get offensive. It's a different way of looking at politics. And let's be really offensive. It's a different way, and I'm Canadian, so I don't care. It's a different way of looking at the presidency. If there are Christians who are criticizing a president because he's not a part of their, poli of their political party, but they aren't praying for the success of that president because we believe that the scripture teaches that all the leaders are put there by God, then they're actually behaving in an ungodly way. God is confused by you. How's that for sucking? Because either this president or the last one, you hate it. And if not those, you're the one before that. If not those, it'll be the next one, right? Like that's how we play this game. Half of us vote for one, half of us hate the other. And then the beauty is we don't punch each other. But that's becoming less and less. <laughs> Moral of the story, stop punching each other. All right, thank you. When we move into things, we, <laughs> that was free, now back to the sermon. Uh, when we are moving into what God has for us greatness-wise, we move in a godly way, which means we have confidence because we have asked questions, we've prayed and gained support, we've moved with the confidence of God, and then we've given credit where credit is due. Daniel never says he's able to do the things that he's going to do. He says, God is. God is able to do these things. And he's told me, not because, he says this, not because I'm better than anyone else. I am not better than anyone else. God, for some strange reason, has decided to use me in this way. As soon as you think you're good at something, as soon as you think, you know what, you know why God made me the pastor? Because I'm so dang awesome. As soon as you think that, it's over. 
Like, it's genuinely over. Because it's, and I know you're not the pastor, but if you're in your work and you're like, you know why I'm this, or you know why I'm in this position? It's because God has made me so awesome. And you might not have that temptation. Uh, I do. In the early days of the internet, my first email address was james underscore rules at hotmail.com. So to speak to me, you would have to admit that I basically rule. My son's email is awesomelj at gmail.com. This temptation runs in our family. And so you might not be tempted this way, but I feel for Daniel. Like, I, I feel like I would walk into the room and be like, like, I'm the youngest on that board by 25 years, and I think, it's because I'm awesome. And that's like the dark side of this thing. And some of you don't struggle with that. I aspire to be like you. But some of us do struggle with that. If we're to move in the world and actually become great, that thought will actually keep us from greatness. It will keep me and you from greatness. And you might genuinely be awesome. But if you think you're awesome, for a reason besides God is using you in this moment in this way, then you've missed out on an opportunity that God is giving for you to actually have influence for his kingdom. Daniel moves in, and he, this is a saying that I have now. I, when there's blame, I look in the mirror. When there's credit, I look out the window or out the door all the time. If something goes wrong, I figure out how to take the blame. How can people blame me for that? Even if it's not my fault, I'm looking for that. And I actually learned this uh, when I was in the military in Canada from the best military leaders I had. And I learned the opposite from the worst military leaders I had. Because those are in... Intense situations that you're, I mean, intense. It's the Canadian Army. <laughs> Those are Canadianly intense situations. We camped with guns. Like, we didn't even camp with bullets. Like, who cares? But uh, there is this, like, the, you learn either by positive example or by negative example. You learn by Arioch, the king, the captain of the king's guard, going in and saying, I found someone. And Arioch trying to stand a little bit in the spotlight so the king doesn't lose track and say, hey, so you know, I, I, it was me who found this guy. And then you have Daniel standing in the spotlight, giving credit to as many other people as he can. And when Daniel, the king bows down before Daniel and Daniel's promoted, the first thing it records that Daniel does is get his friends promoted. Because, so you know, I couldn't have done this on my own. It was my friends who were praying with me. I need them to be promoted as well. If you want to actually be great and have a great impact, it's actually biblical for you to behave in this way. You might be tempted to just have a lowly life, a quiet life with no impact, with no wake behind you. But Daniel gives us a model for living in a world that doesn't recognize Jesus and living for God in a way that's so remarkable that God actually opens up more and more doors and God actually, instead of you climbing the ladder and be to greatness, God actually lifts you and puts you there. God gives you opportunities and you were, didn't even know you could take advantage of them and God moves you into those. Which doesn't mean, and so you know, we have to train ourselves, that doesn't mean 
increased greatness in a worldly way. It doesn't mean fame and riches. It doesn't mean a corner office. It means an increased impact, an increased wake behind you. Where if you get to heaven before many other people that you were impacting, because usually this happens generationally, as people are coming in behind you, they recognize you. It's an impact measurement for the kingdom of God because we're spreading the kingdom of God. And what would be great in my life and what would be great in your life is if God's glory and God's fame and God's name continued to grow and God just felt like it was a great idea to continue to use you to do that. Because God's primary objective in life is not my fame and not your fame and not my riches and not your riches. It's to glorify himself. And if he notices that at a low level you're a person that glorifies him, he'll notice that you're a tool that he can use in his hand for increasing the glorification of himself. And so God will move you into opportunities and places that you never maybe even expected or dreamed to have. But God will do that because you have shown yourself faithful and useful for his purpose and his glory. My clock's out, but I want to say one more thing. Is that all right? I spoke to a lot of young people, and now I want to speak to the oldest of the old people. The prophet Joel in the Old Testament is quoted. It doesn't matter if you say all right or not, because I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> the prophet Joel, it, the only people that really matter are the Sunday school teachers. They'll all quit. And so uh, please be kind to your Sunday school teacher as you go back. Your child, I'm sure, is great, but the other children were probably tough for them. Uh, the prophet Joel says, and then uh, the apostle Peter quotes the prophet Joel in Acts chapter 2, the very first sermon given in the church. And it begins with this line that says, your young men uh, will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. As I've talked to a lot of young people that are beginning their career, some of you are at the far end. Some of you are counting down uh, like the days and the months to retirement, not the years. And I don't believe that it's a biblical view on your life to say someday I'll be able to stop. Like someday I'll be able, like I'm working, I'm having impact for God, but then when I retire, then I get to coast. Like I, you can coast in your work, and if you've prepared yourself uh, financially and, you, and God's decided to bless you that way and you don't have to work anymore, that's like, I mean, vocationally work anymore, that's a glorious thing that God has given to you. As soon as you think, I worked and I earned it and I've earned my retirement. Now it belongs to me. You've made the same mistake as the young person who thinks they're awesome. You've thought that something you've done has impacted your life apart from the influence of God. It would be such a waste for you to have 60 or 70 years of wisdom and experience. For many of you, uh, 60 years of following Jesus, it would be such a waste if you didn't continue to work on building your way and continue to work on having impact for the kingdom of God. Like I, there are actual studies, because I've done research on this in my master's program. I actually have a friend that wrote a paper and we did some research for it together that actually show that a person follows Jesus and their fervor for following Jesus grows and grows and grows and then in, somewhere in between 40 and 60 it begins to decline. Because in our culture, we've taught that there's this value in young, brash, abrasive voices. And we've lost 
I think we've lost this accumulation of decades of wisdom that can be passed on to next generations. If you get to the age where you're like, I don't know what God has for me, the scripture teaches that when the Holy Spirit comes on you, the young men see visions, the old men, I'm sorry, the old men and women, but they wouldn't have said that in the prophet Joel's time because no one would be able to listen to what he said because he said men and women, all right? So let's click forward on that. If you're an old man or an old woman, uh, if you think of yourself that way, and when I play sports now, I think of myself that way. <laughs> if you think of yourself as near uh, the golden years of your life, I'm trying to say this in the least offensive way because I want the offensive part to be if you waste the end of your life, you're wasting far more than the young people who are wasting the beginning of their life. The church needs and is desperate for old men and un old women who have dreams, who have God-given dreams about what the future could look like and a desire to invest in rising generations so that those things happen. That's what I wanted to add on to the end. That this isn't a young people sermon. This isn't everybody's sermon. If you're not in the grave, then the scripture teaches there's a reason God has you still alive. Paul himself says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If you're still here, then God has a dream for your impact for his kingdom, and there is no limit on that, and there is no end point to that. There's no mistake that you can make that invalidates that, that God can use you and will give you those dreams. And I'm telling you, I want to see you in living those dreams so this becomes a church that's full of people that are impacting for the kingdom of God in exponential ways. Jesus put a lot into you. Jesus put a lot into this church. And my expectation is equal to God's expectation. Well, sorry, I aspire that my expectation would be equal to God's expectation of greatness on your life because there's a path towards that and God and Jesus and I and the people around you believe in you in such a way that we believe that that can happen. Let's stand. I'm going to pray that way for you. Is that all right? If I say that again, it doesn't matter. Huh. God, in this space, I want to thank you for your spirit moving and speaking to people. There are people in this room who have dreams and visions and aspirations of things in their future. Some of us have decades of a future. Some of us have less decades of a future. And we're looking at that and saying, how can this be used by God to impact your kingdom and to grow uh, your fame and your name in, in, in our world? And so I pray for every single person here who's feeling the Holy Spirit in their heart, that speeding up of their heartbeat and that just overwhelming as their mind is racing, and what, if, that you would speak to us clearly and that we would hear you so that we're able to take the steps that Daniel took in order to have an incredible impact for your kingdom. Daniel's impact saved actual lives, moved the kingdom of Babylon into a glorious future. And God, we would pray that you would use us in the same way. Humble us to the point that you can use us. Not to, not to the point of shame or to the point of humiliation, but humble us so that you can use us to make your name great. 
every one of us, from those who are just starting out, who are in school or looking at possible careers or possible impact, ways we can impact the world for your name, to those of us who are in the middle of it, who are making transitions in life, who are going through the transitions in our family, to those of us who are at the end, who are uh, making the transition into having an incredible amount of free time because of your blessing. May we use every resource you give us, including our free time, including our resources, including when we're young, our youth and our vigor and our energy. May we give it to you, and may you use it to advance your name. That's our prayer, today and every day, by your grace. Amen.